Truth Espresso, episode 267. This bill is about medical fraud, and that's all it's about. It's not about when life begins. I mean, come on. Fake clinics? Fake clinics? That's what we've devolved to as a body? Now we're talking about medical fraud because we're saving a baby? Fraud? Wow. Anti-abortion centers are the ground-level presence of a well-coordinated anti-choice move. It sounds like we live in North Korea. In contrast, the abortion pill reversal uses natural progesterone, and there have been zero reported deaths. Why is progesterone okay in early pregnancy except in this case? So any claim that this treatment works, any claim that it's safe or effective is misleading and medical fraud. Hey there, friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick, and I am here also with my sweet, beautiful wife and co-host, Chelsea. Welcome back to Co-Hosting Truth Espresso again, sweetheart. Thanks for having me back on. Yes, and so I'd mentioned a few episodes ago about that we might be trying to figure out the best ways to get episodes out, and I'll probably be doing some solo episodes till we figure out times when we can record together and stuff, because we just have a lot of busy weekends, and so recording late Saturday evenings is just kind of rough, but we'll get episodes together when we can, especially when we we can record during a weekday or something like that. And this is a good episode that we're going to do together because it actually has some positive news. Yay. (laughs) That seems very rare these days. Indeed, especially with all the craziness going on in the Middle East and all over the world. And especially, you know, good news in the state of Colorado. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So... We did a series as we were going through the passage of SB 23190 into law. This was against so-called deceptive trade practices, kind of a restrictions and attacks on pregnancy resource centers or life-affirming clinics. And then also section three of it talks about banning abortion pill reversal, so the use of progesterone to reverse the effects of mifepristone stone the first abortion pill and this seemed to be the most controversial part that's been in court and so when we last addressed this the court case Bella Health and Wellness versus Weiser et al that was filed on April 14th of this year so several months ago hours after Governor Jared Polis signed SB 23190 into law, Bella Health and Wellness filed the suit and Federal District Court Judge Daniel Dominico quickly granted a temporary injunction. 
few weeks after that, we see news articles talking about how the judge lifted the temporary injunction to restrain the state. But of course, you read the articles, you find out, well, it's because the defendants in the state of Colorado would sign statements in court saying that they were not going to enforce the law, and therefore that's why the judge found no reason to keep the restraining injunction in place. So the battle over this law, as we had done the episodes, was in the legislature, and now, because of this lawsuit, it's in the courts. And so, Suihar, what's kind of happened since then, because over the summer, basically, and into the fall, one of the provisions of the law that was added to the text via an amendment had to do with medical boards creating a a statement whether the abortion pill reversal would be a generally accepted practice. And so how did that go during the summer? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the summer, I mean, this whole year, but definitely the summer has been intense with trying to maintain being able to provide the abortion pill reversal and still kind of sort through what exactly is going on. And the three boards were the Colorado Medical Board, the Nursing Board, and the Pharmacy Board were all put in a position to try and come up with whether or not you can provide the abortion pill reversal protocol to women if that is considered standard practice or not. And so I was able to join the first stakeholder meeting. They invite all the different providers from all three of those boards to join in for the first two meetings they had to discuss people's thoughts and opinions. You could even give written comments and papers and such so they could review all of that. In the first meeting, I was actually a little bit surprised that there weren't very many people. I think there were maybe 15 of us altogether that were part of that meeting And the majority of us were actually more towards the pro-life side of it. There were a couple, obviously, that were not pro-life, but they still went with that abortion pill reversal is an okay standard of practice and that progesterone is safe and it's been in use for over 50 years and especially in pregnancy. So I think we had about three people that were staunchly against being able to provide the abortion pill reversal in that meeting. And it made me kind of wonder because all three boards were kind of in agreement that they're not going to come out and say that this is not standard practice, but they were kind of having this like loophole in there too. If they needed to come down on people saying that they'll just view it case by case and not just come right out and say it's good practice or bad practice, but say, let's just do this case by case. And with the few providers in Colorado, I mean, that would be pretty easy to take out each person case by case, too. So it just seemed like a kind of, I don't want to be too harsh, but a wimpy way (laughs) of coming up with a conclusion. But as we'll hear, too, that was not the end of the three board's decisions. Didn't one one of the boards uh, had a draft of their decision that the powers that be didn't really like and kind of got on them about it and then they updated the wording of it? Yeah, the Board of Nursing was the first one I saw. I mean, just because I'm governed by the Board of Nursing could be why I saw that one too, but they had, yeah, pretty good wording in there at first and then 
yeah, they had a lot of red lines in it. <laughs> the next time they send it out for review and removed a lot of the stronger language that would put more definitive lines that it's okay to give women progesterone in pregnancy, specifically to reverse the abortion pill. And I think that's where it got so confusing, too, because they're trying to make it to where it's still okay to give women progesterone if they're miscarrying. But they want to make that distinction that it's not okay to do it if it's with the intent to reverse the abortion pill. So after all three boards gave their opinions or their statements, then de facto, according to the law that all three had to agree that it was a generally accepted practice, which of course is a high bar to set, especially given the powers that be would try to persuade them like you need to rule a certain way here because you got, you know, understand the point of this amendment for this is to get the stamp of approval and, you know, try to make it airtight and so after that, then it's like, okay, well, I guess the ban is back in place again, but the Bella Health and Wellness lawsuit was still present there and looming. So once that realization happened, then Bella Health asked the judge basically, okay, it's time to hear our argument again because we need protection here uh, because they can enforce it now after they're waiting for the medical boards and then... So I should clarify real quick. The reason the ban went back into place is because the second stakeholder meeting that I wasn't able to attend, there was a lot more activists that came on board and put a lot of pressure on the medical board specifically and telling them that they needed to change the wording and they need to stand up for women in Colorado and this is not good medical practice and yeah, went on and on. So it put so much pressure on the medical board. The medical board quickly changed like a week before they're supposed to submit their consensus. The medical board changed their mind and said, no, we're going to say flat out that this is not good medical practice now. The pharmacy board had the most definitive ruling on their side where they said, progesterone is actually safe in pregnancy. We give it all the time. We're like, we're constantly giving these education to people in pregnancy. And so they didn't really see a problem with it. And then the nursing board was the one that was kind of like wishy-washy. Like, we're not going to really say yay or nay. But yeah, since there wasn't that consensus, since the medical board specifically changed their position on it, that's when the ban came back into <laughs> the powers that yes. be were going to make sure that they got enough of a result to make sure the text of the law would go into effect. So once that happened, Bella Health and Wellness uh, lawsuit was going to continue on. But then Saturday, October 21st, Judge Daniel Domenico then presiding over it issued a narrow preliminary injunction against the state of Colorado from enforcing the law's ban on abortion pill reversal on Bella Health and those who work, as it says, in concert with them, so probably anyone affiliated with them or employees and so on, or anything they contract out for a service. 
until the lawsuit reaches a final verdict. So the preliminary injunction then means that the law is essentially on hold until the final verdict after a trial, but the preliminary injunction does seem like a sign of things to come with this judge because I don't see how a trial is going to change this judge's mind with the arguments the judge used in the preliminary injunction. So the final verdict would likely to be in favor of Bella Health to protect them from the ban. So the law is essentially at this point, you know, null and void. So that's definitely a win for truth here as things stand. So I just wanted to share a verse that I was thinking of through all of this. It's Isaiah 25 verse 1 and then also verse 4. So it says, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. I just love that. Like faithfulness and truth is what endures. Even when things seem like they're going bad or it's hard to keep fighting, like we know that we can still praise God because his faithfulness and his truth is that constant. And then in verse four, it says, For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. So there's love. Nice. I mean, so much turmoil and kind of chaos going on. I mean, just not in the state of Colorado, we see it over the entire world right now. But we know like that our hope and our trust is in God and he's faithful and he's true and he's our protection. And I just like that verse and it kept coming to mind as I was reading through these injunctions and stuff that no matter what the outcomes of this are, we still serve a faithful and truthful God and we're going to exalt his name. Amen. So you are. And we're going to see as we uh, go through some parts of this injunction and supplemental filings, information here, just how I think those verses apply. (laughs) It's kind of like, yay, a light amidst the darkness. And God is definitely gracious in what happened here. Of course, the um, mainstream media or even the far left media, like, for instance, Jezebel, they're not seeing it the way we see it. And so uh, I happened to find in the news an article from Jezebel entitled, Federal Judge Sides with Religious Clinic That Wants to Lie to Patients About Abortion Reversal. (laughs) Nice that they don't even pretend to be unbiased here. So from Jezebel's article, we could see their bias here. I have a little quote. So it quotes from Dee Dee Kism and Abby Sinet, who are the founders of Bella Health. They said, some of these women have had abortion pills forced on them and others changed their minds, unquote. And then continuing from the article says, the clinic's co-founders, who are also mother and daughter, Dee Dee Chisholm and Abby Sinet, said in a statement, without an ounce of documentation or proof of said patients, unquote, from the article. So, yeah, one of the arguments that Bella Health brought up that I think was compelling was the fact that a woman can have an abortion pill like slipped like a Mickey in her drink. And then when she's 
pregnant and she wants to carry the baby to term, but a boyfriend could trick her or sneak an abortion pill and then the state of Colorado with this law wouldn't provide her any protection or any way to try to reverse the effects of it or save her pregnancy. And, you know, that was an argument they brought up. And according to Jezebel's article, they didn't have an ounce of proof said patience. Well, even if there weren't patients of Bella Health, Bella Health's request or their amended complaint requesting a preliminary injunction that was subsequently granted shows that this type of situation does happen. And on page 25 of Bella's amended complaint asking for the injunction that was granted, they provided 10 documented sources of this very thing, including Among those sources, there's one from CNN and one from the BBC, so this isn't just all life news or something like that. These sources of women being forced to take abortion pills or slipping them in tea, wine, or a smoothie. So, like, what? There's nothing in the Colorado law that would protect those women if they were in Colorado from that situation. Just personally, like recently, I had a client telling me that she was pretty much lied to and deceived that she was going to be taking an abortion pill. And I mean, unfortunately, it ended the life of her baby and just ended up to be like a complicated abortion. And she has a lot of trauma from that. And I think, I mean, she worked through a lot of the abortion part of it. But just the trauma from being deceived, not only from her boyfriend, who was telling her that these people were just going to help her feel better in her pregnancy, to the providers that gave her the abortion pill, too, saying that this would help. And if she has, like, really bad bleeding, to go to the emergency room. And she was just very upset about all that deception that went on. And, of course, she would be upset with that. And to me, the title of that article is just sickening because we are not lying to patients about the abortion pill reversal. We're saying that there is this option and that we are here for them to help them if that's what they want to do. We're not forcing them to do this. These are people who are desperate to try and save their baby because they realize that whatever situation they were in, that either they were forced or didn't know they took the pill, now they want to try and save their baby. And we are not lying to these women. It's the other side. The boyfriends and husbands and dads and all these people that are coming on these girls and like putting that pressure on them to take the abortion pill in the first place. Those are the people that are lying to them. And it's just frustrating. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the Jezebel article's argument for it being a lie, as well as every mainstream news article I've seen that covered this, they consider it a lie because they say that the abortion pill reversal is not effective. Well, how is it not effective? Well, we'll talk about that because they make certain claims, you know, where they ignore evidence and then they interpret the study that allegedly proves that it's not effective or could even be considered dangerous. And so that's how they argue that life-affirming practices that use abortion pill reversal are in effect allegedly lying to women by trying to push a protocol which they offer for free. They're not making money off of this, really. 
that it's somehow it's like snake oil. Hello, this is Keith Helsley of Quest for Truth. And I'm Nathan Caldwell. Together, we talk about worldviews. Things that affect our pop culture today. We roleplay the viewpoints represented. We sift through some of the faulty logic in them. And compare them to what scripture says. Once a month, we dig into the Bible. Going through one book at a time. One verse or phrase at a time. Exposing the truth in scripture. Truth exposed. Hey, that sounds like a good name for a podcast. I like it. How about explicit truth? No. Hmm. How about naked truth? No, no, no. Check out Truth Exposed on the first week every month. You missed something, Keith. Our audio drama. As long as our protectorate players have all their parts in. And our lazy script department has the scripts ready. Um, isn't that you? Make that our hard-working script department. Watch for new audio dramas on the third week of the month. Quest for truth. Because if it's true... It's true inside the Bible as well as outside the Bible. Check out life-truth.com. So, the preliminary injunction that Judge Dominico said, there's a pretty much to sum up from the introduction. It says, quote, The law at issue here, referring to SB 23190, runs afoul of these First Amendment principles. You know, free expression, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. And because it does, the state must come forward with a compelling interest of the highest order to maintain the law. It has not even attempted to do so. Plaintiffs are therefore entitled to a narrow preliminary injunction as outlined below. So then it'll explain all the arguments for why the plaintiffs, as in Bella Health, should be granted the preliminary injunction. And it was based on their arguments for the efficacy of abortion pill reversal and how the ban would prevent them from being able to exercise their constitutional rights, especially as expressed in the First Amendment. As I mentioned, in response to the Jezebel article, here's a quote from the injunction. But some women regret their decision to start the medication abortion regimen after taking the first pill, but before taking the second. And others may have been coerced to start the regimen against their will, unquote. So it's nice to have that acknowledged by a judge in the court in the injunction, recognizing that women regret their decision because the abortion lobby will try to tell you that it's a myth or it's so incredibly rare that you can statistically round it to zero. And we know that's not the case. So it's not a conspiracy that women do regret taking the first pill it happens quite frequently, although it's just not reported, documented as much as, you know, as it actually happens. To me, it's interesting that they're expecting that to be documented because 
the protocol for, for example, a girl goes into Planned Parenthood, gets the abortion pill. They say, okay, take the medication now. And then two days later, take the second medication, go to the emergency room if you have too much bleeding or cramping. They don't do any follow-up. They don't see her like at any point to know if she did follow through or to know if she did change her mind, to know if there were complications or not. They don't do any type of follow-up. So they want statistics. They should be doing follow-up to gather that information to know we follow up with these women and they didn't regret it. It's just weird like that they're kind of mocking that there isn't that information, but at the same time, it's kind of on them that they aren't really doing that follow-up to get that information either. Yeah, I think that was yet another compelling argument from the plaintiffs, from Bella Health and from their expert witness, that it really shows the hypocrisy of the state of Colorado, the legislatures and the powers that be involved in this whole law here. Because there's lots of contradictory arguments that we'll see when it comes to the abortion pill and progesterone as reversal and how they try to argue one thing, but then it's like, do you really mean that? Because you mentioned sweetheart, they don't follow up on it, but yet they'll say... It's dangerous if you don't take this, but well, where's the enforcement of this? All you're concerned about is she shouldn't take progesterone, but hey, it's dangerous if you don't complete the regimen. But yeah, it's like, have a nice day, go home and take it. And yeah, no follow up. But where does the law cover that if they're going to make that an argument for why you shouldn't take progesterone? Yeah. It's pretty crazy, and, you know, their own hypocrisy, it seems, is what leads to the undoing of this law. Another quote from the injunction kind of brings this up, because Judge Dominico says, quote, But defendants, their experts, and major medical and industry bodies argue that using progesterone to counteract mifepristone is unproven, ineffective, and potentially unsafe. For instance, defendant's expert Dr. Cohen notes that there may be an increased risk of hemorrhaging where a patient does not take the second abortion pill and also takes progesterone, but there is some uncertainty about whether this potential risk is due to the patient not completing the full abortion regimen, i.e. taking the watchful waiting approach, or due to the patient also taking progesterone. So the defendants argued that using progesterone to reverse the mifepristone or the first abortion pill is not safe or effective. It's unproven and stuff like that. But the official medical recommendation is what they called watchful waiting. In other words, just don't take the second pill. Just don't take the misoprostol and be monitored but they don't enforce that. It's just kind of like if the patient has a concern and brings up a regret that, okay, well, this is what you could do. Well, why can't she take progesterone in the process if she really wants to keep her pregnancy? Why is that so bad? But so-called watchful waiting is a medical recommendation and is there a randomized controlled trial for watchful waiting? You know, I haven't seen one. And that is totally a <laughs> cop out for yeah. that because they don't tell girls they don't have to follow through with doing the abortion. So they aren't telling them, oh, if you change your mind, 
don't take the second pill and just see like if your pregnancy continues. They're just telling them how to take the abortion pills and if they have extreme bleeding to go to the ER. So there's a gap of actually informing patients about the option to even not take the second pill. So a lot of girls, if they're just doing that on their own, then they're going to have these severe complications because doctors are not telling them that information or telling them what to watch for if they don't take the second pill. That's kind of an after effect of, oh, maybe we'll just say like, yeah, we can watch and wait make sure everything goes okay but they don't tell them that like yeah it's just yeah it's like on a need to know basis i guess but yeah it's like okay all this stuff about you know if you want to have progesterone if you if someone changes their mind about taking the first abortion pill oh you need a randomized placebo controlled clinical trial to test that but okay well the official medical offering is watchful waiting just don't take the second pill but don't take progesterone either and we'll just wait and see if you hemorrhage to death yeah and that's only if you bring it up and yeah, yeah and but like where's the randomized trial for that where's the medical boards meeting together and releasing and claiming that watchful waiting is a generally accepted practice either because their watchful waiting approach hmm how many deaths have occurred with yeah. that like oh, yeah. over 20 mm. deaths? Was it like 24 last year? Oh, yeah. From the abortion pill, the documented reported deaths. Yeah. I think it's 28 now. Okay. So far, like since the mail-in abortions. And people that are given progesterone? Zero yes. deaths. Yeah. Hmm. I think the watchful waiting needs to be reviewed and <laughs> have more consideration that that is not good medical practice if we have women dying because we're saying we should just watch and wait. And so then we get into the argument from the defendant's side, of course, which is the Mitchell Crane and study from 2019 published in January 2020. And the watchful waiting is it's kind of humorous a bit if you you know you don't know whether to laugh or cry about it but the study itself that dr crane did that he had to halt because some of the patients ended up you know having to go to the er and they use this study as an argument against abortion pill reversal but how does this study even in any way prove watchful waiting as a, a protocol it doesn't according to the very data of this study. So Dr. Mitchell Cranin, who testified on the House floor and the Senate floor while this bill was being legislated, and as has been brought up in the court hearings, of course, it purports to be the only true medical study of abortion pill reversal because it was a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, even though it started with 14 patients, but only 10 actually ended up going through the protocol, and it ended early. So five took the mifepristone, the first abortion pill, and no progesterone, and then five took the mifepristone followed by progesterone. 
Now, of course, when you put progesterone to the criteria that you can't use it to treat women who want to continue their pregnancies after taking mifepristone, that we don't have the scientific data to prove it because they don't have a randomized trial, well, there's a reason for that because even the FDA itself says, quote, in general, pregnant women are excluded from drug development clinical trials. However, in certain situations, it may be scientifically and ethically appropriate to include pregnant women in a clinical trial, unquote. When it comes to pregnancy, you're dealing with life and death. So if women are expecting to continue a pregnancy, you can't give them a placebo or give them something like that that would put their pregnancy in jeopardy. So I'm trying to remember how Krynan's study ended up because like out of the women that took the progesterone, wasn't it like four of them ended up, they were going to be able to carry Yeah, so there were three total women who had to go to the ER, two from the mifepristone-only group, and then one from the progesterone group. One of the two from the mifepristone-only group ended up with hemorrhaging that had to be treated with a DNC and stuff. The one from the progesterone group that was experiencing some hemorrhaging was going to the ER, but then it stopped. And so it was like, okay, I guess you don't need to be here. It was all cleared from there. Everyone admits that the study here didn't have enough data to be conclusive. But if you're going to make any arguments from it, which the pro-abortion side constantly do, well, the data itself, as small as it is, proves that progesterone works to reverse the effects of the abortion pill, mifepristone. And it's safer than... Watchful waiting. (laughs) Cranin's own study shows that watchful waiting doesn't work and that progesterone is better, but he's going to propose that watchful waiting is the currently valid medical procedure rather than the unsafe and unscientifically tested progesterone, (laughs) even though his own study should be the evidence for that. And watchful waiting hasn't had any clinical trial to prove that it works. I like this next argument. I was just thinking about it, and then I'm like, oh, you have it here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you want to talk about it, Sue? Sure. So an expert witness was able to rebut Dr. Cohen's attacks on Dr. Delgado. So Dr. Delgado's the physician who, I think it was actually a team. He was one on a team of doctors, but they were able to develop the abortion pill reversal protocol to know like how much progesterone and when and what route and stuff like that. So he published his case series reports to show what seems to work in these situations. So Monique Shrew-Wobbenhorst, and I'm sure I messed up her name there. I think you did pretty good there. (laughs) (laughs) So in her expert witness to the court, she was able to explain, quote, the case series, like Dr. Delgado's case series, are commonly used in studies involving pregnant women. Many drugs used in obstetrics and gynecology came into clinical usage based on data from case series. These include magnesium sulfate for prevention of preterm labor and eclampsia. Eclampsia is where women experience seizures as a result of really high blood pressure, and that's usually towards the end of the pregnancy. 
also terbutaline for prevention of preterm birth, um, nifedipine for prevention of preterm birth, and hydralazine for controlling hypertension in pregnancy. They also found that methotrexate for treatment of ectopic pregnancy, among other medications, notably mifeprestone itself, was approved by the FDA based on non-blinded, non-randomized studies. So none of these studies were randomized, controlled trials, unquote. And what's interesting is when we get into the whole study of and approval of Mifepristone itself, it's almost like it opens up Pandora's box on this whole argument over progesterone. But yeah, it's like progesterone, a natural hormone. We're talking about bioidentical progesterone given to women, which off-label use is given to women in all different cases, including treatment for uh, preventing miscarriages and hormone regulation and stuff. But somehow, oh, if she takes this one pill, mifepristone, well, you can't give her progesterone then. She's off limits now. But mifepristone itself, the first abortion pill, was approved by the FDA, and it didn't have to go through what Dr. Cohen or Dr. Mitchell Crane and seemed to demand as double-blinded, placebo-randomized controlled trials. It went through the same type of things like case series because that's what you do when it comes to pregnancy. You know, a lot of pregnancy drugs are from that type of thing because there's ethical concerns for throwing pregnant women into a placebo, double blind, randomized controlled trial. Same with kids. There's a lot of kids' medications that we do off-label or that are more intense because you can't ethically do studies on kids, too, because they're not old enough to give consent. I mean, parents can give consent for them, of course, but there's, like, so many ethics behind this. So if we are looking at medication that's been in use over time... And like you said, it's bioidentically similar to what our body naturally makes. So we're just giving our body that extra support of something that's naturally occurring. Then that should be sufficient to know that this is okay in pregnancy. We've seen, again, zero deaths related to progesterone use in pregnancy over 50 years. Looking for strategies that will help you engage in meaningful conversations with members of the Mormon Church? Well, if so, take a look at Sharing the Good News with Mormons, a new book produced by Harvest House Publishers and edited by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Sharing the Good News with Mormons includes 24 helpful essays from two dozen Christian apologists, scholars, and pastors. Pick up your copy at the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore or order directly from mrm.org. So let's get this straight here. So the FDA approved mifepristone, even though it used historical case series studies. But what often comes under criticism for abortion pill reversal, the 2018 Delgado study isn't scientific enough to confirm the success of progesterone in reversing mifepristone. But also note that there's a 1989 rat study that was used in the development of mifepristone. It had a control group of rats. There were three control groups. One was given nothing. One group was given only mifepristone. And then one was given mifepristone followed by progesterone. That 1989 rat study 
the group that was given progesterone soon after mifepristone had 100% of them continue their pregnancies. So that proves when it comes to rats, which are often used, rats or rabbits and so on, they're often used for testing drugs before you have human trials and so on. That demonstrates the effectiveness of progesterone to reverse mifepristone or abortion pill reversal. But this wasn't the development of the abortion pill reversal protocol. This was in the development of mifepristone. And it proved they were testing the effects of mifepristone, but they also tested how it can be antagonized or reversed. So why is it that the opponents of abortion pill reversal never bring this up, that the abortion pill itself, one of the clinical trials, involved testing how progesterone reverses it? So they've known that progesterone reverses mifepristone for decades. We recommend that if you're just catching this episode, but you haven't listened to others in the series covering SB 23190, the Colorado's ban on abortion pill reversal, we played clips of Dr. Mitchell Cranin in his testimony on the Senate floor and later the House floor. He alleged that his study, which he regards as the only study, the only scientifically valid study for testing abortion pill reversal that allegedly proved that it didn't work, in his testimony said that it's dangerous and irresponsible to forego the second pill or misoprostol. I remember he said, if you forgo the misoprostol, bad things can happen. (laughs) I remember him saying those words there. And then others testified, and I included in my own testimony there, that, wait a minute, there's kind of conflicting arguments going on here, because why is it that the watchful waiting approach is the recommended one for if women change their mind, so that's okay to do medically, but on the other hand, it's like it could be dangerous not to take the second pill, but it's a medically acceptable procedure not to take it so which is it is withholding the second abortion pill dangerous or is it an acceptable medical solution can't be both and which is it is progesterone effective in reversing mifepristone or is it not And if progesterone isn't responsible, because another argument is that, well, progesterone's basically doing nothing. It's snake oil because the only reason women end up giving birth is simply for not taking the mesoprostol that causes contractions and expelling the baby. And so they just happen to have their pregnancy survive. It wasn't due to the progesterone. So if progesterone isn't responsible for the successful birth, then why must we ban it when foregoing the second abortion pill? Because they argue that, well, it's not effective or it might even be dangerous, which that wasn't proven because, sweetheart, you said that progesterone has been proven to be safe and effective. And, of course, the rat studies and stuff show that it really does reverse mifepristone. There's all kinds of conflicting information from the pro-abortion side in this argument. Bella Health, in their reply and support of the motion for the preliminary injunction, they did make that argument. They did say, quote, If not taking misoprostol is the problem, why does the government endorse it? 
and defendants nowhere claim to require providers to follow up with patients to ensure they have taken misoprostol or even tell patients about the alleged increased health risks from using mifeprostol alone, unquote. So that's very telling. If it's so dangerous, why don't they follow up? And I think that was another argument that kind of made the judge think, wait, what's going on here? Yeah, so some women will only take misoprostol to start inducing an abortion and not take the mifeprostone. So they take the so, second pill without taking the first pill. Yeah, but there's a lot of like danger in that too because misoprostol is one of those like we use it to induce labor on moms that are ready to have their babies. Or in the case of someone who had a natural miscarriage, you use it to mm-hmm. you know help things get, along. If yeah, and avoid it. infections by getting yeah the miscarriage out and stuff. Yeah, so misoprostol is an interesting medication because it kind of builds up slowly in your system, and so some women they can take like one pill, for example, and that's enough to get things moving. Other people have to take a different number of pills to get things going. And the problem with misoprostol is that if you get past that threshold and they have so much on board, you can't remove that from their system. So now they're going to be having intense, horrible contractions, like hemorrhaging and passing out and death. Those are like the complications you get from misoprostol and not being able to, in the case of using that for the abortion, the doctors are not following them and seeing like, okay, was this an adequate dose for them? Do they need more? And okay, if we gave them too much, like do we have the resources to make sure that they're stable and not going into shock or something? So misoprostol is not one of those medications you want to just give someone unmonitored like that. And especially if that's the only one they're using to induce an abortion because they're getting a higher dose of it as well. So there's a higher risk of them having these complications. Mm. And um, is there a Colorado law that regulates <laughs> taking misoprostol because there could be dangers there and stuff like that? Nope. Yeah. yeah, even the injunction the judge recognized from page 35 in the injunction, it says, quote, the state does not regulate patients or doctors who fail to complete the full two-pill medication abortion regimen, despite relying on evidence suggesting that doing so may raise safety risks, unquote. So yeah, it's like the judge is thinking, hmm, there's so much emphasis on progesterone being un." proven and possibly risky and stuff but wait a minute the defense has argued so much that the evidence shows that you'd better take both pills because otherwise trying to reverse the first one without taking the second one that has serious safety risks well where's the law where's the regulation where's the follow-ups they're not even trying to deal with what they allege to be safety risks here but oh yeah, progesterone is the boogeyman here. (laughs) Well, okay, one of my clients I had recently too, this is a different one, she was recommended to take the abortion pill. So she goes into the clinic, gets the abortion pill, takes it, and then ends up having severe cramping, bleeding, goes in to the emergency room, they have to do a DNC. Well, her baby was 15 weeks outside of the norm of prescribing the abortion pill. And so she had complications from that because the baby was a lot bigger and the abortion pill was not safe for her to take. 
but they didn't do any type of ultrasound. Women can be off on their dates for like how far along they are in their pregnancy and stuff. And that's very common. And the clinic is not doing their due diligence of making sure that these women are in a safe place to even try and attempt to do the abortion pill. The whole issue from the pro-abortion side, uh, they don't really care about the women because they obviously don't care about the baby. And it's obvious that this is a big money maker for them, blood money. And they're going to put progesterone under the microscope. But what really needs to be under the microscope is how dangerous the abortion pill protocol is. First, of course, to the baby, but also to the mother. And yet, oh, we can't regulate that. We can't ban that. We've got to ban a bioidentical natural hormone because we don't want anyone to prove that our protocol is dangerous and that it's wrong. And we've got to protect the abortion industry at all costs. But, you know, this is a victory that we have to celebrate that God did uh, work to bring to light through Bella Health's lawsuit here so that the truth can get the light of day in hearing in a court and not just in front of a bunch of activist legislators who could care less about truth and pray that you know, God will then use this like as a domino effect and possibly prevent other states from doing this type of thing. And so we hope that you enjoyed this episode and we encourage you to listen to others in the series. If anything that we said didn't make sense, we covered some things in more detail with other episodes as this law was in the process of being hashed out in the House and Senate. And so stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 